Here's an unpaid sponsorship for Frontier Communications. Do you miss dial-up internet speeds? Do you want to see what it's like to live in a world without internet? Do you want an internet provider with horrendous customer service? Do you want to just flush money down the toilet? Well, if so, I have an internet provider for you. Frontier Communication provides internet speeds at literally five one thousandths. Uh, yeah, that's hard to say. The speed of its local competitors. Not only that, they charge you more for it. If you miss the days of taking three minutes to download an image of Pamela Anderson for your jerk-off sessions and knowing that you'd never have enough time to download a video, get yourself Frontier Communications Internet. And because you're a listener to the Jeff McAlino podcast, I've got a great deal for you. Reach out to Frontier Communications on Twitter and tell them to go fuck themselves and that Jeff McAlino sent you. And you will be eligible to get the slowest internet speeds at the highest internet price if you live in Pinellas County, Florida. Frontier Communications. Vintage internet. You've got mail. Hey, everyone. Thanks to my new sponsor. <laughs> uh, today, I have Tony Russo on the podcast. And this is a smart episode. I have... Sometimes uh, intelligent conversations. And this one, I think most people who know me know that I love conspiracy theories and things like that. Well, Tony wrote a book about conspiracy theories, uh, and uh, I got a copy of it, and it is good, uh, which is no surprise, obviously. Uh, but uh, his book, Tony Russo's book, is Dragged into the Light, Truthers, Reptilians, Super Soldiers, and Death Inside an Online Cult. Hopefully you enjoy that. Um, uh, and I will see you at the end of the episode with, uh, well, probably just a quick goodbye. Because this is, this is going to be a smart episode, so I don't want to ruin it by being dumb uh, me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hey, I'm doing a, uh, well, by the time this gets released, it'll already be done. I mentioned a live show a couple times on here before. I'm doing a Sunday showcase, uh, but that's happened already, uh, May 23rd, and this is not coming out yet until, uh, afterwards. So, good gamble that I probably bombed, but, uh, hey, it's a virtual show. Those bombings only heard about, you know... 30% is bad, uh, or, you know, maybe 50%, I don't know. All right, Tony Russo and I talk about uh, conspiracy theories and a lot, uh, I don't want to say it's political, but a lot of uh, journalism and politics and how, you know, everything intersects, and uh, of course I carry things off into weird directions because, I don't know, that's just what I do. So, Hope you enjoy, and uh, maybe you learn something, or you uh, view something with a little more nuance, uh, as opposed to black and white, maybe, than, than you did before, but probably not. Oh, and uh, I want to shout out um, That Trophy Wife Life podcast. I guest-hosted the episode that will be coming out uh, soon, or may already be out. I'll put it on all my social media. Uh, check that out. I uh, was honored to guest host with Dana Pereira, who was on my uh, episode 23. 
Also, I was on a, a podcast uh, called Drunk Boy's Basement. And uh, there are a couple of young kids who are in Utah. Uh, and they, they branded me as a Florida man, uh, which I'm cool with that. That's fine. <laughs> so I think I, I think I kind of owned it. Um, now, I was, I was quite a bit of ways into drinking. So uh, that's probably not a podcast for mom. Uh, to listen to, but, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a big super fan, uh, check them out. They're, they're, they're funny. Uh, I, I kind of picked on the one kid. He, he, he's kind of, uh, he kind of is asking for it, (laughs) but, uh, Ryan and Sean are their names. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun time. I, 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 I was, uh, four and a half hours into drinking when we started that. So I don't remember everything I said, but, it was probably dirtier than things I say on this podcast, would be my guess. It is called Drunk Boy's Basement, after all. So, anyways, enjoy this interview with Tony Russo. Um, fuck the Florida Panthers, go Lightning. Peace. All right, everyone, I am now joined by a journalist and author, uh, Tony Russo. How are you, sir? Oh, having a time of my life. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you wrote the book, uh, Dragged into the Light, Truthers, Reptilians, Super Soldiers, and Death Inside an Online Cult. Uh, is that the full title? <laughs> that, that is the full title. There's actually kind of a, a fun story that goes with that. Um, so I was being filmed as part of a documentary while I was working on this book, and I didn't have a title for the book yet. I had this working dragged into the light. That was like more of a scene. Look, the mic just, uh, your mic just dropped it. There you go. How's that? Perfect. <laughs> All right. Sorry. But that was more of a theme. Um, the idea of dragged into the light, which, uh, which I took from the Republic, you know, this kind of like people just don't want to change what their beliefs are, even if they're wrong. Um, but I didn't love it, but, I liked it, but I knew that it wasn't right the right kind of title. But unfortunately, while we were filming, they're like, so what's the name of your book? And I'm like, well, Dragged Into the Light. And so later on, when I was talking to my publisher, he's like, you know, how how attached are you to that title? I'm like, well, it's in the documentary. How attached are you to that title? <laughs> kind of. And so we had to come up with a more descriptive subtitle than I than I think we would have liked to. But it's 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 a really good book, and I'm I'm happy with the title. But the truth is, reptilian super soldiers thing is tough to say. We used to say uh, dragged into the light something 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 Sherry Schreiner because we worked. <laughs> I worked almost as long on the subtitle as I did on the on the whole book. How long did uh, how long did it take? The, you know. uh, I was probably out at about eighteen months um, when it, you know, if you think of the uh, the writing and the research, maybe almost two years. Gotcha. How uh, the research must have been uh, interesting, I guess, to say the least. You're dealing with some interesting subjects. <laughs> yes, and. Much of the research, I mean, I went to Toby Hanna, Pennsylvania, and I did the court records thing, and I did a lot of personal interviews with people, but at least half of the research and the background was done online and much of that on Facebook. And there is, I remember one point where I said to my wife, I'm like, I don't know if I'm just screwing around on Facebook or working anymore. 
<laughs> because it was just you would follow these threads and after a while I'm like I don't know if I can use any of this but I also can't stop looking at it you know it was it really really kind of sucks you in conspiracy theories are fascinating to me which I think I told you yes. um, and sometimes it's uh, and 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 there's a fine line which you probably uh, uh, a lot of the people in the book uh, were on the wrong side of that line I would say yes but it's uh, it's I love them because there's a I like the question question authority question information Absolutely. there's nuance to life it's not just as you you know as it's served up to you on a platter but it can go way too far <laughs> absolutely well there is what's difficult is you know people are people will ask me well like, do you believe in conspiracy theories and i'll say yeah absolutely but that doesn't mean that you know the devil's behind it all <laughs> that's, that's, that doesn't mean that the president's a reptile um there are <laughs> there are many and deep conspiracies but they almost always just involve a couple of greedy or incompetent people trying to either make money or cover up their incompetence. You know, it's not it's not a grand thing. But that said, there are, you know, kind of behind-the-scenes events that take place that, you know, that do end up shaping our lives. And I don't think it's good to dismiss the idea of a conspiracy out of hand. I just think once you go start looking for metaphysical explanations – you know, you're, there's nothing that's going to happen. You know, it's, it's not going to be useful to you. Yeah. And I guess that's where it, it goes from just hypothesizing of what, what possibly could be behind this, as opposed to making it like a cult or a religion is, is bringing the deity into the whole thing. I was, uh, I was on a recent, uh, having a recent conversation uh, with, with a woman about this idea of, you know, the spiritualness of it and i'm not a spiritual person but i i don't have a problem with people being spiritual as long as that's not like the first solution you know my always i hurt one of my friend's feelings once when i said blaming things on ghosts was when i said i said it was intellectually lazy and she, she got really <laughs> mad and i what i what i mean when i say things like that though is you know if you say if you're if you're saying well it's a ghost then you've given up you're like, all right, well, there's no explanation for that. It must be a ghost. And that's where that's where I get hesitant about how useful um, looking into conspiracy theories are. You should look into events and see if you can uncover, you know, what led to them. I think that's a really good project. But if you're looking for proof that the devil is trying to take over your local post office, you're wasting your time and you're wasting your intellectual energy. Yeah, no, I oh, your mic just started staticking again, but I, but uh, yeah, well, I, I it's kind of on the same topic. I I I don't really know. I, I'm in a place where I don't really know what I believe as far as religion and spirituality. But I've always I've said for years, anyone who does aside from ceremony, uh, you know, or holidays, things like that, right. anyone who does anything with the mind of this is I'm going to do this so God will will look better upon me is a bad person. You should just want to do good things out in the world, right? It shouldn't be yes. because God wants you to. It should be your own will that wants you to. Well, it's, it's, 
thank you for saying that. One of the things, um, there are two deaths in my book, and one is a young woman who committed suicide. And one of the reasons that she was able to hide her deep depression for so long was because she thought she was an actual angel. And so she went around trying to act like one, you know, and when someone's running around feeding the poor and, and helping people around town, you don't say, wow, that is a person in distress. Right. <laughs> you know, you say that's that's a good Christian girl. And you're not wrong. But as you were saying, the idea that she wasn't doing it, she was doing it because she was trying to curry more favor with God. She was trying to prove herself to God, prove her worthiness to God. And that was a that was a, a bad choice, I guess, um, in the end. Yeah, well, it's got to be harder for someone who thinks like that. If things anything goes wrong in your life, you think, God, God it's clearly God doesn't like me. Like that's that's where I always would go when I was struggling with things. If I if it's like, well, if there's a God, he must really not like me very much. <laughs> well, one of the things that was very prevalent among the Shrinerites, which is what I call the people who follow this cult leader, Sherry Shriner, mm -hmm. um, was the story of Job. And if your listeners aren't familiar, the story of Job is God and the devil made a bet. And God said, I'll bet you can't make job's life so shitty that he curses my name you can't kill him but everything else is is fair game and so the devil proceeds to torture the hell out of job and you know then like he kills his wife he kills his yeah. kids all, all these awful things and then you know when the bet's over god wins shocker and then you know god gives him a new wife and new kids and that's apparently <laughs> fine in this story <laughs> <laughs> um, but what the Shrinerites take away from that is the worse things are for you, the more important you are to God, because that's how viciously the devil is attacking you. Mm. And one of the things that is missing, I think, from a, a lot of the car conversation about targeted individuals is just that, this overinflated sense of importance, like the government is after me because they know I know. You know, and oh, yeah, it's 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 always fear. Even if you think about it, uh, to me, I I like to believe there's a God. Just you know, I don't pray or anything really all that at much, but I like to believe there is. That doesn't mean I believe that there's a devil, and that's where I think right. across the board, it's everything is always so motivated by fear that. It, it makes a person like me skeptical of everything. You, you know, it's like, the earth, you know, we, we had politicians. And look, climate change is a problem, blah, blah, blah. There was a politician who a couple of years ago said the earth was going to be destroyed in 12 months or something to that effect. Well, we're right. still here. It's, it, it, that's, not, yeah, that's not true. I know you're trying to scare us. <laughs> well, one of the things that I, I discovered that I discovered in the book, I think, is... Um, if being religious makes you angry, if it makes you want to be mean to people, then you're probably doing it wrong. Amen. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's where I kind of keep my keep my eyes at. Like, why be mean? Like, how is that part of how is that part of your spiritual experience? How is that part of you participating in the grand love of God to be mean to people? 
is it's it's something that is really really hard to reconcile and that's why as you said that's why a lot of people even people of potential faith let me call you for a second without offending you a person of potential faith you're like maybe i maybe i'm not in this club <laughs> you know you look around and everyone so many people who say that they are um religious and it's pick a religion and you're going to find someone willing to kill over it right uh christianity is just the one that i happen to be working in in, in this particular book but this idea that you know Every if if everyone's supposed to hate when they're religious, maybe I maybe I'm not religious. I mean, I hear that a lot. You know, like I would love to go to church, but I don't want to go to church and also hate gay people. And that's one of the rules at my church. And so, what do I do? I go and I kind of roll my eyes, you know. Um, but it's a problem for a lot of people, and it's causing, I think, a rift in a lot of churches. And again, I was writing with the weirdest thing is I was writing this book. And I'm, the whole time I'm like, I'm going to have to explain all of this to everybody. And then all of a sudden, everything I'm writing about is in the news. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I don't have to. Like, I was worried that people wouldn't understand what reptilians were when I started this <laughs> book. Yeah, well, you you were explaining at one point uh, chemtrails in in the book, and I'm like, oh boy, Alex Jones could have done PR for this. <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah, that's the thing. There's so much. There's so much, and it just as you were saying, it all ties back to this fear, this need to have some sort of control over what is good and bad, and to be able to live your life without recognizing that the things that you're afraid of aren't real things. Right. And, and frankly, the other, the other part of that is, you know, if the thing you think is real, this, this vast conspiracy is real, you can't do anything about it. You're... I loved that. I absolutely do. I love that. The, the idea that the CIA can't kill you right. is shocking to me. It's absolutely shocking um, my next book, I, I'm not here to plug my next book, but I want to tell you a story from it because yeah, I please. think it's really enlightening. My next book, I'm writing um, a memoir slash biography for this decorated war hero, right? And he, he was an army ranger. He was among the people who captured Saddam Hussein. You know, he had this, you know, vast career from Kosovo to Iraq and Afghanistan. And he's a really interesting guy. And um, he's more conservative than I am. He's, uh, you know, he's an army ranger born and raised in Alabama. We, you know, <laughs> we don't always see eye to eye on things, although I consider us great friends. I think we, I think he considers us great friends. And he was talking about this idea about the government coming for your guns. And he's like, you know, cause if they come, then I'll be ready. I'm like, well, you'll be ready. You're an army ranger. I said, who, who do you think they're going to send? All of my all of my neighbors are very well armed. They're not going to send an accountant to ask pretty please, can I have your gun? They're going to send a squad of rangers. <laughs> and so when I said that, he's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. I'm like, yeah, that's the only way they take the guns is setting the military against the people. Right. And, and I don't know if that made him feel better, but it was something that he hadn't considered, you know, and the idea of talking to people and listening to why they have their specific fears and concerns and then trying to address them as if they're real concerns. I mean, recognizing that they're real concerns and addressing them in that way, I think is so much more 
useful than just hitting each other with facts, which is what we tend to do. Well, I say this. Well, I say this. You know, everyone has all of these facts at their disposal. But if we're not going to contextualize them in a way that makes us come closer together, then they're not really useful for us. Well, I think most people, it's miserable to debate. Uh, most people, I love to debate. Uh, and I'm I'm libertarian personally, so I can get along or disagree with people on all sides of the aisle, which is fun, but only if you can get to the point where, okay, we either have just a philosophical difference on this, or I can change your mind if, if or you're willing to change your mind and think, huh, I've never thought of that that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, the idea of having a conversation, both people have to enter a conversation with the being prepared to have their mind changed. If you're not having a conversation, if you're not prepared to have your mind changed, you're not really having a conversation. You're just again, hitting each other with facts. Yeah, you're preaching. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I love the... Uh... I did this the other day. I have one friend who travels around the world, and uh, I see him every every few months, and we will get into heated debates, but they sound heated, but we are both very much enjoying it, and we always can figure out, usually on, on things like foreign policy, he knows more. So I might come right. in with a certain, but I'm willing to learn, and think, domestic type stuff, like I, I'm, the, I believe all drugs should be legalized. And he's like, well, I don't know who's going to do this. I'm like, do you, do you think a lot of companies, the, the cocaine manufacturers, want to kill their customers? Or do they want to make a safe product and make money? It's capitalism. Right. And by the way, all the busting down doors and shooting people or stopping, you know, interactions between people of color and the police, maybe. That would all yes. go away overnight. <laughs> Pulling people over at random would go away overnight. Yeah, well, and that's what I love. It's it's kind of been quiet to most people, but they're talking about banning menthol cigarettes, which happen to be smoked more by black people than white people. It's like, <sighs> now, huh, I remember a guy in New York, uh, what's his name, Eric Gardner, uh, who got stopped for selling Lucy's. Uh, we right. want police interacting with more people and checking what kind of cigarettes they have. <laughs> who thought this was a good idea? So that's what actually gets a conspiracy in my mind is, I start thinking they want another bad interaction like that to be caught on video to just cause more chaos. <laughs> and and that is the right kind of conversation to be had because well, I see this, as you're saying, I see things like this all the time. And the question you want to ask, I think the question that's worth asking is, is this a genuine conspiracy or is this just an ignorance about how shit happens? Like... Uh, my brother is a cop, and we were talking about, I mean, you know, we obviously have a lot of conversations about police, and there is a built-in, if you pull over a black guy, there's this built-in heightened tension, and it's just getting worse, and we're animals. We forget that we're animals. We A lot of times we think that we're characters in a book, but we're animals, and we can smell fear. And as the cop gets closer to the door, you know, the guy in the car is more afraid, the cop's more afraid. The cop's more afraid, the guy in the car is more afraid. And so by the time this, these interactions happen, there's a tension that just doesn't exist, for example, when I get pulled over by a cop. You know, my only tension is, is he going to give me an extra ticket when I'm nasty to him? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's not a, uh, my brother hates when I do that too. 
So actually, since he's a cop, one of the things that I've, I mean, he's been a cop for probably 10 years now. So I, I certainly have, through these conversations, toned it down. But if, if I get pulled over because I have an out-of-state plate, I'm going to get mouthy. And if I get pulled over because I'm doing 20 miles over the speed limit, I'm going to say I got caught and I'm going to be pleasant. Like if I'm breaking the rules, right? then, you know. But if it's seven, if it's 62 and a 55 and I'm in, you know, Missouri, I'm going to mouth off a little bit. <laughs> I got a I got a ticket for going forty nine and a forty five in South Carolina. Yeah, I didn't take too kindly I'm to that sorry. one. <laughs> I'm never mouthy in the South. I, I don't go to the South very often. I, I got pulled over it at like two o'clock in the morning in Georgia, and that was the most scared I've ever been. Like I I joke and it's a bad joke, but I'll tell it to you since I always I joke that I'm like this is must be what black people feel like when they get pulled over. Like it is dark and it is rural Georgia, and if this guy decides to pull me out of the car and leave me on the side of the road, there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> and that was the only time that ever even occurred to me, and I was very polite to that gentleman when he pulled me over. Just just because I, my, my mother would be mortified I'm sharing this story. I'll leave out the details as to how and why and what, but uh, one time I did get arrested, and uh, they were a little rougher with me than they should have been. And my only charge was resisting arrest without violence. The irony of this, this was six years ago now, I think, um, is two months prior to that, a Saints player got pulled over for no reason. He wouldn't, the cops were, it was, you know, they were just questioning whether he was supposed to be in this neighborhood. And he wouldn't answer. So he got arrested for resisting arrest without violence. I, smartass on Twitter, say otherwise known as being black in public. <laughs> so a few months later, I'm in, I'm in a holding cell for resisting arrest without violence. <laughs> I also, I, I said, I have to pee. I'll answer your questions afterwards. And they attacked. That was it. Um, so they, they were a little rougher than, than they probably needed to be with me. Um, I'm sitting in the holding cell and I'm the only white guy there. And they start eyeballing me. <laughs> and they can see I'm, like, petrified. So they, they kind of snicker. I see him elbow his buddy, and they come circle around. What are you in for? And they, they share, and they, hey, white boy, what are you in for? And I'm like, I, I don't know. The, the cops beat the shit out of me. I didn't think they could do that to white people. <laughs> and the holding cell burst out laughing so bad the guard had to yell at us to shut up. <laughs> That's great. That's a great way to break the tension in jail. I'm going to take that with me. Oh well, yeah. That was that was. I'm like that was my favorite laugh I I will ever have gotten because it's kind of risky. Because <laughs> if you bomb there, you're you're going down hard. <laughs> but no, that was the funny thing is that was me, a white dude in 2015, and I, it turns out it's like, huh? I, I guess I was woke, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but that's the. Uh, I don't know. I've I've always looked at it, and I feel bad for police officers because they are doing. You know the the way they police. You know I've always like speed traps drive me insane. It's like you're just setting up traps to try to steal money from people because you yeah. caught them going. And obviously, that's not what cops. I assume most cops don't sign up to to you know hold a radar gun. Most cops want to actually help their community. I I would like to think. But they're told I, to do it this way. They, yeah, they, they, they do have a job that they're asked to do. And again, we blame, you know, we blame the the, the, the messenger, right? We're, we're blaming the cops instead of our 
Okay, so we have a, a speed trap in our town, and I'm always like, that's because our leaderships are cowards. Our leadership mm-hmm. is cowards. There's a there's a cowardice in the civilian leadership and in the local leadership that the police and army, and the police and military tend to have to pay for. And when we... When we for, we forget that I forget that all the time. You know, I, I forget that they're enforcing protocols that benefit not them. <laughs> you know, right. that, that 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 benefit the people who are home home asleep right then. And that's I, I my, when my brother made detective, I was very proud of him. And he said after a couple months, he's like, "This is what I wanted to do. Like when I go to work, I always help people now. Like something's missing. Somebody, I'm I'm helping people." in a way that I never was able to when I was a regular patrolman. And that that really stuck with me. And so, you know, the idea that police do want to help but also have to execute their duties, their their mandates, um, yeah, is, is tough. But what the difficulty for me is I think that I think that if you get pulled over, you should always get a ticket. I don't think that they should let you let you let you off with a warning ever. You know, if if I don't think the police should get to decide whether or not you should be punished for breaking the law. They pull you over. They have to give you a ticket. That's an interesting thought. Um, I don't I, I like where you're coming from, because it's the same as. Uh, the reason we don't want cops to kill people. They're not the judge, jury, and executioner. They're not the they're, ones who are, they're in charge of apprehending. Actually, they're the, they're the executive branch. Turn me over to the judicial branch, and they'll tell me whether or not I deserved this ticket. And it, it's funny. I've been pulled over. That time in South Carolina is the only traffic ticket I have ever received. I've been pulled over at least a half a dozen times for, do you know your taillight's out? Of course I didn't. I my my plate actually ex- my registration expired. We do it every two years down here, and they mail it to you a month before you need to renew. I never got it. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind thing when yeah, it's once yeah. every two years. I had no clue. Every time, let me I let me off uh, without warning. One time, the the only time that they were definitely warranted in letting me off, in my opinion, cop was tailing me. I had no clue it was a cop, and his lights were just hitting my mirror. So I was kind of like doing this outside of the car to block the lights, I slowed down to 60. It's a speed limit 70. He stayed right on my tail. I sped up to 85, trying to lose him. And I just got, and he turns on the lights. He's like, why I was, uh, why would you do that in front of a cop? I'm like, I was blinded by your light. He's like, oh, all right. Sorry about that. UFOs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, the light just hit me in the mirror. It was uh, just, I could not see where I was going because of this blinding light. And he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only time that I think maybe he was warranted in letting me go because he was just like, what kind of psychopath is doing this to a cop? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, they're in, they're in, it's tough to think, especially the way that media portrays the situation, it's tough to, uh, you don't see the good police work anymore. I, I'll say that in in defense of police is that you you don't see the good. That doesn't right. make the news. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if, but if, but of course it shouldn't because that's not that's not the concern. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
when and that's like there's what a story is is conflict mm-hmm. now if you're manufacturing conflict which i think you're kind of hinting at oftentimes conflict is manufactured uh, that's where i think a lot of times they feel under siege um but again we can go back to this whole idea of the targeted individual how much how much are you really under siege and how much are you under siege as a policeman who watches the news, right? You're more under siege when you're watching television than you are when you're just at work doing your job. You know, you didn't know you were under siege until everyone said, oh, the police are under siege. And I don't think it's, I think in our regular everyday interactions, it's especially, you know, for, for, for a guy like me, it's not the kind of heightened, tension all the time you know we actually had a policeman die in our town just a couple of weeks ago um he was beaten to death on a call Mm. um and our town and this is this is where the libertarian and me may get into it a little bit but our call our town didn't think it was worth having two cops over you know they couldn't they they said it wasn't something we could afford and i wrote a little story uh, an essay about it and that the title of the essay were, was Blue Flags Are Cheap, Cops Are Goddamn Expensive. And, you know, the, the thesis was, you know, instead of putting out blue flags, you know, support the police where they need to be supported. Like, having one guy, no matter how small a town we have, having one guy is insufficient. We used to have no guys. Oh, and wow. they were screaming when they had, when they put one guy on overnight. Uh, it used to be, I live out in the country, so it used to be, well, if there was a call, a sheriff or a state police would respond, and or probably two or three. You know, this, this guy went to a home invasion all by himself and got jumped, as I understand it. Mm. Um, and by the time he, they're just like, whatever happened to, you know, this cop? And then the other police had to go and investigate, and that's when they found that he'd been, you know, he'd been murdered. And that's, mm. that's not acceptable. You know, and that's when you're reminded of the cowardice of the leadership. You know, they, our town, um, and I've been looking at this, and I encourage you and your listeners to look at your um, ratio of own homes to rented homes. So 49% of our, uh, of the homes in our, in our town are um, not lived in by the people who own them. Hmm. Um, so that means almost most people, just shy of most people, uh, benefit from low taxes, lower taxes than the people who live there. You know, and there are places, there are other towns around me where it's like 60% of it is rentals. And yeah, 60% of it is rentals and five of the 10 rental owners are on the commission that decides whether or not we should spend more money by raising taxes. And for me, it's $100. You know, if you raise taxes 10%, it's $100 a year. And for someone who owns, I don't know, 10 or 15 houses, that, that number is a lot bigger, you know, and, and protecting themselves is more important to them than making sure the town runs efficiently for the people who actually have to live here. And that's where it gets... It gets very frustrating because, again, you know, we're going to be mad at the cops. We're going to be mad at uh, we're going to be mad at the people who are doing 
who are executing the plan, but we're not mad at the people who are coming up with the plan. Well, and that that's my... I, I've, I've had so much uh, conflict on both sides of the aisle on my end where uh, it's a lot of people who say they want the change they're now going to vote for people who have been in charge to stay yeah. in charge. It's like you're, you're, you're missing the point. If, if you really cared about police accountability, there would be a nationwide sheriff overhaul. You know, you elect your, your county sheriff. I know there's right. a guy here who's run several times who no one takes seriously where I live. Um, but he, he publicly says, I will not prosecute any drug laws whatsoever. You will not be charged. It's a waste of money to prosecute them. No victim, no crime kind of thing. You want yeah. prostitution? Well, would that have consequences if one county said, hey, we're not prosecuting? Sure, it would. That's that's why I argue every place should be. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I wonder, I wonder how much... I wonder how much that would be true. I know that, for example, I don't feel... So when I want marijuana, I go to Washington D.C., which is with driving within driving distance, right? I'm not, but I don't I don't stay there and smoke all my pot. I bring it back home, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and so the idea of people being more people aren't obeying the laws anyway. Right. The question is whether you should be enforcing them. You know, if you choose to not enforce them, it just means you'll arrest fewer people. It doesn't mean there will be more people coming to break the laws by having drugs in your county like like oh i'm gonna go stand on the on the corner of fifth and main with these drugs because it's legal to do there no i'm gonna go to my house wherever my house is yeah so that's uh that's that's always an interesting thing this idea that crime is attracted to places without enforcement i think is is a story we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better crime happens where crime happens you know, right, and there, of course, are economic and uh, and spacing, spacing. You know, uh, population factors. But broadly speaking, people don't go someplace because it's easier to commit a crime there. They crimes crimes are committed where there's stuff to steal. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it's a it's such a tricky thing, and I. I uh, it probably doesn't help that I I I live a lifestyle that I do, and then I you know this this blackout drunk guy is going to tell you why drugs and prostitution should be legal all across the world, and how many people <laughs> will be saved by it because you know who wants prostitution legalized the most are prostitutes. You know who wants it the least are the pimps. <laughs> They'll be out of business. Uh, and drugs. The drug cartels will do anything to keep drugs illegal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I remember locally where I live, uh, we had a uh, a lot of local breweries popping up, and there was a law that prohibited them from selling growlers, which are like 64 ounces, I think, of beer. It was a big profit maker, but the biggest thing, the Anheuser-Busch wanted to make them illegal to sell because... Are you in Florida? Yeah, yeah, St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> I used to be a beer writer. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember that <laughs> Oh, story. that's right. I read that, yeah. Yeah, it was a national story, yeah. And and because it's not only that, but you had a, a state representative 
who was like essentially funded by Anheuser Busch, right? Mm-hmm. Or no, he had three distributed ships in like six counties or something like that. The the biggest problem in Florida from where I can from where I sit is all of the legislatures, the state Congress, the state house, the state senate. Uh, a lot of so those positions. It's very interesting to look at because um, I even considered running as a libertarian, and I thought, okay, the only thing is I can't win because it's fifty percent of the time and it's a full time job, but they pay thirty some thousand dollars a year. I'm like, I can't take that pay cut. <laughs> I can't. I can't lose more than half my salary to to be in the Senate. I would have to quit immediately because I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't be making enough money. Um, so the people who are elected either are in that situation where they're making no money and have their hand out, or there are people who are very rich and out of touch from both yeah, sides of the aisle, uh, yes. and they own things, or they're personal injury attorneys. Florida's personal injury laws are the biggest bullshit in the country because... Guess, guess who made the laws? Some chiropractors, some lawyers. Hey, we can grease our own pockets. We'll make $30,000 for four years and then go back and make millions off of the laws we wrote. And I'm sure that's like that everywhere. Well, and this is, this, is, this is a good opportunity for me to segue to one of my theses is that we know we can't... We can't continue to pretend that people are in politics because they want to be civil servants. Right. And we can't any longer pretend that people open up these churches because they want to serve God. And the people to whom the conspiracies appeal the most are the people who are the most shocked by that. Like the people who are the most religious, the people who are the most patriotic, they're looking at this and they're just absolutely destroyed. Like, it must be the devil. (laughs) Like, what other reason would someone become a politician and then just use that opportunity to line their own pockets? They must be evil. They can't just be dumb and greedy. And that is where the conspiracy theories take hold. What I've been saying over and over and over again, I'm like, they're not wrong. They're just overwrought. Like, yes, all of your politicians hate you. Yes, all of your priests probably want to rape you. (laughs) But not because of the devil, but because of us. Like, we participate in that. We talk about ideals that don't exist as if they still do. And a lot of the conspiracy people are like, well, they're liars, too. You know, like a guy like me, I'm like, well, maybe we can find a way to get more equity through politics. And the conspiracy people are like, wow, you're goddamn naive. (laughs) You know, (laughs) And, and maybe I am. But like, I think that the best way to do it is to try to do that. And they're like, no, you're out of your mind. You sucker. It's the devil. There's nothing you can do against the devil except fight him. And it's it's hard to argue against when you put it that way. You know, it, it's hard to see these people as just absolutely bananas when you realize that they know that the fix is in. They're just wrong about why the fix is in. It, it, uh, 
it's funny. I have, and this is not a libertarian point of view at all. Well, I, I, I don't think it is. But I, I've said many times, you know, the way we fix the country and politics is you have a every elected office is chosen at random. You you have a, 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 the selection of men and women from age 30 to age 65. And you will be picked at random. You will serve one term in your role. And you will never be in politics again. You get paid handsomely for your service of a couple of years, whatever. So you don't have your hands out. And in two years, all of Congress is going to be recycled. You know, your Senate, six years, you know, you get one, you get one go round. And uh, you, I, I think that would fix a lot. Although, obviously, a random sampling, you could get a lot of nuts in there, too. Well, or <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I think we've, we've already discovered is that I don't think that senator or president or U.S. representative should ever be the first job you ever get in politics. Um, I think school board should be. I mean, so I spent 20 years, 15 years as a reporter. I've been to school board meetings, you know. What I, what I just want to say to people are, how often do you go to your town meetings? How often do you go and you... Never. It's boring as hell. <laughs> it's boring as hell. And... You don't feel like anything's happening. But what does happen is after two years, someone sticks a factory in your backyard and you're like, hey, why is there a factory in my backyard? You're like, well, I don't know. I've been writing about that for two years. <laughs> Thanks for reading, you know? And people, this is how we are responsible. We've handed over the day-to-day -day running of our lives to people who don't care about us. And we're fine with that as long as nothing bad happens to us. And that's where it's a problem. We oughtn't be fine of it at all. Everyone should, I, I agree with you, everyone should have to serve on their school board. Everyone should have to be on the zoning. Holy Christ, talk about boring. Everyone should have to be on the zoning commission. So my mother's been a zoning, uh, a zoning commissioner for, I don't know, like 20 years or 30, like ever since I was like a kid. But I covered zoning because someone has to, right? And so, like, we can talk at length about land use, you know, which sounds boring until someone wants to, you know, drain the property next to your house and put up a, a large a large house that probably shouldn't go there. Well, I think, and that's uh, that's the fascinating thing that I, I often say to people, too, is a lot of these laws, people are like, well, this is such, how did this law ever come to be? There was one passionate person and a city council or a, a representative, whatever, who's like, enough, whatever you want, sure. If you Just get away, off my back absolutely. and I'll do it. Absolutely. And no one was there to speak up, but one passionate person fucked everything for yeah, everyone. No. Um, but no, that's, that's uh, and that's another thing. I, I've heard more and more people saying it, but it's still not ever going to be close. You should know the people of your school board like that. You know, your county school board, you should know them all by name immediately. Your representative in Congress, eh, your, your president, not shouldn't be that important as, as your school board. I love when people ask me about representatives um, that aren't mine. I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, there are some famous representatives who are on Twitter a lot, and who are in the news a lot. And I don't think anyone, I'm sorry, I'm sure everyone must understand that they don't matter at all to us. <laughs> like, my guy is the one I should be paying attention to. He's the one who represents me. 
you know, if I don't like the way that someone is representing someone somewhere else, too bad. Yeah. yeah. Why do I need to have an opinion about who represents someone in a state with different people and different needs than I have? Right. Well, and you know, that's the, the funny thing, too, is that uh, everything being so centralized, I, I, I always rant... Uh, going off topic a little bit, but actually kind of two topic, is I always rant about the Federal Department of Education. And it's like, do you think people in Alabama are going to educate their kids the same way that they would in Los Angeles? Or uh, I've always said in in Florida, in St. Pete, we're a peninsula on a peninsula. I think swimming should be part of the curriculum. No kids around here. I mean, it's life or death. You should learn how to swim. (laughs) Right. You don't need to learn that in Kansas. Right. So, but, but what what happens with the money is it gets funneled into Washington, D.C., where a bunch of people make decisions, take a large chunk of the money to pay themselves, and then Absolutely. send it back with strings attached like we're all the same. Yes. Uh, and it's like, that's insane. I would rather my school board make decisions with what to do with our money than, than people in Washington who, who well, take a large portion. <laughs> it, 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 it actually has to do with uh, it's a. It might be a county by county thing. It depends upon the state. I'm. I know way more about um, school boards than any of your listeners want to hear. But depending <laughs> upon the state and depending upon the county, they have more or less autonomy. Um, in Delaware and New Jersey, each town has its own school board that's pretty much in charge of most of the money. The federal funding is so small that it's. It's embarrassing that people don't just not take it and do what they want, but they also want to make sure they get highway funds. And yeah, this is, you know, again, boring fucking shit. Yeah. So boring. And then everybody's like, why did my taxes go up? I spent, you know, four hours a week for the last month at some boring meeting. And that's why your taxes went up. I told you, you know, but you know, it's and it's funny is everyone complains about the taxes and a lot of it's very funny when uh, conservatives have power. Well, they don't cut spending either. They just add more to the don't don't take a moral high ground here, guys, right or left. You're both just always adding, never subtracting. Um, but again, it's those meetings that no one goes to. It's very yes. easy to say we need to pay extra for this. OK. No one's there to say, actually, a prior guest I had on was mayor of his hometown of like 500 people, and he's a comedian, uh, Uh, and uh, he wrote a book about it, and he was loved because he'd be like, well, wait, why are we paying money for this? Or like, what, what, it cost $10,000 for that? Uh, Did we get a second opinion? (laughs) Just little things like that, common sense to an everyday person, and Common sense is not common in government. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the thing is, what, what happens, I think, too often is um, there's, there's, there's a rare balance of someone who either spends money like it's not theirs or spends money like it's only theirs. Mm. You know, and, and if you're going to be in charge of everybody, you have to remember, well, some of it's mine and some of it's not mine. And so... That's how I should spend it. Like some of it's mine, but a lot of it isn't mine. And I, I should do what 
needs to be done and we should figure out the best way to pay for it. Again, just like one would do with their with their house. You know, we have certain responsibilities that we have to once we decide what our responsibilities are, we have to fulfill them. Um, or we have to say that they're not our responsibilities. Right. But I think it's wrong to say that something is our responsibility and we're not going to fulfill it because we don't like how much it costs. That is the wrong way to be a person. Like that's right. not a moral way to live your own life. Certainly it's not a moral way to be in charge of other people's lives and other people's you know, finances, but also day-to-day interaction you know day to day do the holes do the streets do the streets have holes no um again so i just made fun of my town when uh about five or six years ago a new crop of commissioners came in and discovered that no one had ever spent any money on infrastructure i mean Discovered is a weird word because we essentially had dirt roads. You know, we we had roads that had been pulverized. They weren't even dirt. They were pulverized asphalt roads. And I believe that a town is supposed to have three to four years of operation funds in the accounts so that if they don't get another dime in taxes, they can still run four years. And our town had something like 15 years worth of operations because they were just so against spending that they were just letting the roads crumble. And then we all got new roads and you know over the course of like 6 months. See, and that that's the that's the fun that's the fun part. It's like they they're still taking the money. They're just not spending. Right. <laughs> Which is like the the worst. Like they, they if they said, like "Hey, they had no money in their coffers, so they didn't do." It. Okay. At least they weren't taking money from people. Right, <laughs> but to do both. <laughs> they were against so against spending that they didn't spend. And they couldn't untax, so. <laughs> See, that's the funny thing. I would say don't spend, but don't tax. They, they were doing the, <laughs> arguably the worst version of it. Tax, but don't spend. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the, uh, actually, one, one thing I've, I've done, uh, I've, I signed up or I, I volunteered to do one thing. Every year there's a uh, federal money. Uh, from HUD and stuff like that that comes to the city and I'm on a committee that helps allocate the funds specifically to try to help homelessness and every year what I do is try to divert as much money away from city projects to private charities because I know from looking through the papers and everything uh, one so one group is the best of all at least locally here and uh, most people on this committee tend to be liberal, which is fine, but it's Catholic Charities, most effective by far as far as rehabilitating, making it so they're not homeless anymore, not just giving them a place to live, giving them a place right. to live, mental health, training so they can make it a living and move out, you know, move out of, of their housing into their own house. They had a, an amazing percentage turnaround, but Catholic kind of you know, religion, and I'm like, look, people nervous, yeah. look they're the, don't talk about cutting their funding, they're the most effective organization here, and my mom, my, I mean, I'm Catholic by, by name, but I'm not a practicing Catholic, and uh, afterwards they came up and thanked me, and I, I told my mom, she's like, oh, that's so great, I'm like, I didn't do it, because they were, the numbers were most effective, 
you know, the church had nothing to do with it. I wanted the least homeless people around, and they are the best. So, yes, I fought for them. Right. But those are those boring three-hour meetings with, you know, that you have to read a stack of papers this big to to beforehand so you know what you're even talking about. Yeah, there's a big buy-in in time and... And it's yeah. The sad thing is, it's 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 like reading a, a novel, uh, and then spending three four hours one day a year, and so right. few people are willing to do that. <laughs> and that's one one committee out of right. hundred. It's like I, I don't consider myself a civil servant or making a big sacrifice. That's literally the least I can do. <laughs> and it's still it more than most people. Lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh. It's uh, actually I, I'll, I'll mention too. Um, so I was the the county's Libertarian Party's chair for a year, and one thing I the best thing I did was host a school board debate. Uh-huh. Uh, we had all six candidates come, and it was a, a, a forum, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that was my favorite thing because it's like it, it cost money for us as the party to spot, you know to put this all right. together, and it was pain in the ass to get all the candidates on board and everything, but. Um, I get such a nice response because it's like I've never, I didn't know who I was going to vote for, and you guys put this video up on on uh, Facebook, and now now I know which ones I like. <laughs> right, or at least you know what their names are. At least you know who the alternatives are. I I get so much shit from some people because I every time an election comes up, I says, "Do your research. If you don't know who you to vote for, don't vote." Oh, people get angry. I'm like just. It, I don't care what position it is. Don't vote because of the letter next to their name. <laughs> don't vote because you like a man more than a woman or vice versa. Right. Uh, I, I had an, a fellow Italian say, oh, other paisan, I'll vote for them. I'm like, do you know this person? They might not be good. <laughs> Just because their name ends in an O doesn't mean you right. need to vote for them. It happened that was the candidate I was voting for. But right. regardless, it's, it's still like, come on, if you don't yeah. know what you're doing, don't vote. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to not know. It's one of the uh, one of the things I've been talking about with people is this idea that when was the last time you said, "Wow, I was completely wrong." And if you haven't said that in a couple of weeks, you might be an asshole. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did this past week with my buddy when we were talking about foreign policy, and I, I told you he travels the world. He tends to keep a better ear on things. I'm very anti-interventionist, um, right. but I don't know much about the inner workings of this, that, or the other. And I'm like, huh? Mm-hmm. I was wrong. I had no. I was misinformed, <laughs> which is which is another ish. Actually, um, if you don't mind, let me pause real quick. If you if you have a few more minutes, I'd love to dive into to to the way uh, I, I think journalism and media is kind of aiding and abetting conspiracy theorists unintentionally. Or maybe intentionally, but... Maybe intentionally. (laughs) All right, give me one second. We'll take a brief pause and be right back. All right, and welcome back. So, uh, Tony, I was, I was, uh, one thing I think the, so there's a two, kind of multifaceted look here. One thing is, I think journalism 
and I'm putting air quotes up, which for the listener doesn't do much good. <laughs> I think journalism, uh, what what is called journalism? That's let me correct it. What what people consider journalism is often not. I would say you know uh, CNN, Fox News, pretty much any news to me that you see on TV is entertainment. It's not there to uh, necessarily do. Now there is some of it, but. You, you have to be really I think, discerning. I, I think it's incidental. It's not the point. Right. The point and, isn't to inform. The point is to affect. Right. And then you've got a, a certain president who, and it's funny, he comes out with the fake news thing, and it's like, uh, he's an asshole, I don't like him, but he, he's kind of right. He's kind of right to, to an effect, but it spoils good journalism. So it that's where people not trusting because you've got the the famous you know I don't care what Chris Cuomo says about COVID in New York I think he might be a little biased I don't care what Sean Hannity says about anything he's an idiot. <laughs> well, one of the things that really kind of ties into what we've been talking about is we as at least as Americans possibly as human beings don't want to accept responsibility for our part in the world. And part of that is this expectation that television can inform. Um, I think television can entertain, and I think that television can emotionally inform. Like, you know, you can you can see, I don't know, you can see a, a, an hour drama that really makes you rethink your biases or, or whatever. Um, but as uh, what what reporters do is not interesting or sexy. It is it is a different version of the school board. You know, when you are reading a 10,000, if you're not willing to read a 10,000 word article about um, about an, an, an accusation of fraud, then you're gonna stay stupid because where I can't I can't make sense of something in three or four minutes. If you expect that you can be informed without committing your effort to be informed, then you're going to be part of the problem. You know, a lot of times, one of the things that uh, the documentary and I disagreed with, I think, pretty fundamentally, um, is how much the Internet affects um, affects conspiracy theories and how, how much profit there was. I don't disagree. The Internet does affect conspiracy theories, and there is a lot of profit to be made. But the question isn't, why does the internet do this? The question is, why are people? What are people searching for? How are they part of this search? Why won't they make the effort and pick up something and get informed? Because it's hard. Because it's hard and it's complicated, and you can't sit down and say, "Well, I believe these things that are already consistent with the things I believe in." You know, there's so much that doesn't pass the smell test and I don't know why we don't ignore it one um, 
one of the things that I used to love to do was not have um, the opposing view fully represented in a story when the opposing view was from a liar who had something to gain. You know, I don't have to, just because you say it, I don't have to print it. And what a lot of politicians have learned is that many journalists are afraid to do that. You know, many journalists are afraid to just, I remember there was this guy uh, who kept saying, I forget what his catchphrase was. Oh, we just want a seat at the table. Um, They didn't deserve a seat at the table. There wasn't a table. There wasn't a seat. He was making all of it up. And about halfway through the interview, I said, you keep saying that. That's never going to see print in a story that's got my name on it. I'm I'm not your PR guy. (laughs) You know, and... That's catchphrase. (laughs) and, And I think that... I think that there are a lot of very good journalists who feel like it would hurt their integrity if they said, oh, no, I talked to him, but he was a fucking liar, so I didn't put him in the story. You know, and instead they put, well, I spoke with Congressman Jones and he didn't didn't agree, you know. And when I was covering something, especially on a small scale, I was an expert in that something. And when you have a person who is on a particular beat, whether it be Washington or, you know, just a local school board, after a decade or so, they're an expert in that. And they aren't served by lying or by misinterpreting. Where I think where I think journalism takes a hard hit that it kind of deserves is that there's not a lot of institutional knowledge left. Certainly not in newspapers. In newspapers, I mean, you live in a larger town than I do, uh, but in many newspapers, you know, it's it's a starter job for someone who wants to do something useful with their life in journalism. So small towns like ours, we have a couple of saints. You know, there's always going to be a saint who's just like, I'm committed to local journalism and I'm going to burn my body against it. And that's wonderful, but they are rare. Mm-hmm. They're rare and they're far between. Most people want to get to write something fun. Most people don't want to be covering the school board for a decade. But if you're going to do any kind of service to your community, then you're going to have to cover the school board for a decade. And then if someone calls, questions your judgment, you should at least have the integrity to say, I've been at all the meetings. I haven't seen you at any. You, If you're mad at what I'm saying, that's one thing. And I think a lot of times journalists don't fight back on that that that's that's it's always a frustration to me and it is also a frustration that there are without being too too discursive there are children covering covering most things now because grown-ups can't afford to be in the legitimate journalism business you know grown-ups can afford like if you're in a city then yes you know if, if you if you can write for national news yes but no one you and me all of our neighbors we don't value knowing enough to pay for the kind of journalism that it takes to be able to trust someone to go to all the meetings and really tell us what happens. You know, it's really just a punishment assignment almost at this point. And then we get mad and we say, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, they're, it, it's their first job. Right. And they don't like it. 
<laughs> because you don't read their stories, all you do is complain, and they want to be someplace else. And so it's so much more subtle than um, that I think people give it credit for. Because I mean, there's nothing for you on television except entertainment, right? Um, or facts to hit other people with. That's always a frustration, as we were talking about earlier, where. You can sometimes you'll be speaking with someone. It happens to me often, and I can hear that they not only don't they think that they're like repeating something that they heard. It sounds repeated. Yeah. Um, if you have any friends, I'm not huge into sports radio, but if you have any friends who are big into sports radio, it's the same thing. You're like, all right, well, mm -hmm. you listen to that show, and you're saying what that guy said, and you listen to that show, and you're saying what that guy said. So you're like four steps removed from taking responsibility for your own knowledge, and when you give up responsibility for your own knowledge, then not only do you deserve what you get, but you oughtn't to be able to complain about what you get. Right. No, that that's, so the solution would seem to be, uh, but unlikely that would it would happen is, hey, people, turn off the TV. Don't get your, don't get your news or your facts from the TV. Uh, but I think humans in general like black and white they like no nuance no they they like to stay intentionally ignorant so if they can get a quick easy answer he's good he's bad absolutely where you know it's donald trump was a narcissist he's an asshole i think overall he was a horrible president but when he did something i liked i made sure i said that was a good thing he didn't do many and usually when he talked about it it made me hate him <laughs> Right? It's like, oh, you did good and you still make me angry. Come on. There was, I think that specifically the Trump presidency, but also kind of the, the Tea Party movement that came before it was this gave rise to this idea that there's no reason to get into politics unless you're going to line your own pockets yeah. and taking away the pretense of lining one's own pockets also undermined our belief that politics could ever be a useful endeavor and it happened I don't know, very quickly maybe yeah. over 12 years it just very just all of a sudden um, it's it's very much like the preachers who get caught with hookers it's like yeah the devil really got to me, you know, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> this idea that, like I, like I was saying about the conspiracy people, that it's always been the case that people get into politics to line their pockets and to protect their interests. But no one ever said that out loud. What the Tea Party started and certainly what Trump capitalized on was, yes, I am in this for me and you're like me so I'm kind of in it for you the, and that was what I think that's what set off a lot of people on like we really can't trust any of those fuckers you, you know what the problem was so I was actually like ground floor tea party because you know what started the tea party movement was Ron Paul uh, and it was a solely anti-tax the, the, the tea party it's in the name, you know, that, that was a protest against taxation. Uh, and then 
it became this religious, like, in a matter of a few days, it went from being just purely anti-tax, where it was like a libertarian, Republican, fiscally conservative right. group, and it went to the religious right so fast. It was like, what the fuck just happened here? <laughs> the Tea Party's not supposed to be talking about abortion or gay marriage. What happened? It happened overnight. It just bastardized the movement, and uh, that that completely destroyed any link I had to the Republican Party. Because well, at the time, like we were I'm talking like, about at the beginning of, of the show, this idea I was like, well, I I thought I was a Christian, but <laughs> but you're looking around. Well, maybe I'm not, you know, and because. That I mean, I started my. I grew up in the. Uh, I grew up in the eighties. The first person I ever voted for was uh, George H. W. Bush. That was my first presidential election. Um, and then I was I was looking around, and I'm like, oh no, you're you're still. I don't want to be in this club, you know. I don't mind discussing how we should spend our money and being very careful about it. But I don't want to be around all of these religious maniacs. And that was that was always the the shocker for me. I, I would just just shocking how religious mania so quickly became tied to to politics in a way that it hasn't before. That's uh, a very long time. I was actually gonna mention that earlier where I feel like there was a little bit of it with Obama, but I think there was a, at least good intention behind that. But Donald Trump became a religious figure. But to, to make sure I'm being fair and balanced is lately I'm seeing like religious prayer candles of Anthony Fauci from from leftists and Kamala Harris, who uh, look at her record a little it's bit. Where mm -hmm. the, the thing is, is <laughs> And again, this I, I do slam religion a lot in my book. It's the only place where the money is. It's the only place where you can make outrageous claims and not be called on it. And I know I say it a couple times in the book. We're like, oh, they're crazy. They're crazy. If you tell me now, I, I know you, you, that, that you're that you're a spiritual person. I'm not. I'm not accusing you of anything, but. If you tell me that I have a soul, and as a result of the fact that you think I have a soul, I have certain obligations to that soul, that's fine. But if you say you have a soul and it's a reptile, that's crazy. <laughs> and Mitch McConnell, though. <laughs> <laughs> but from someone from the outside, this idea that this idea that some of us can make metaphysical demands on others of us and we're all okay with it we're all okay with not i'm sorry some places can't buy beer on sundays ridiculous <laughs> but that's so acceptable that and you know and we feel very very good about about our liberal democracy and then if we tried to get i don't know pork in egypt We'd be like, what do you mean they don't sell pork uh, in Egypt? That's that's ridiculous. Really? Try to buy a car on a Sunday, you know? <laughs> and if once we admit that it's okay to have religious ideals in governments, we lose the ability to say that government has to be based on reason and discussion because we already live a religious life where our feelings are the only things that matter. And... 
bringing that into politics is is terrifying and and certainly wrongheaded. Um, and I don't <laughs> I don't like the looks of things. No, no, and that's the thing is I it it I feel like it's just invasive. Uh, I I've made the comparison numerous times of uh, I'm a big sports guy and. You know the Saints. The Saints are my football team, and Jameis Winston, who I've hated, I hated him in college. He's done some terrible things. Right. Uh, he was on the Bucks, my local team, who I despise. <laughs> Never rooted for the guy a day in his life. He became a Saint, and I'm like, I like this guy. Yeah. He's got potential. <laughs> That's okay. I think I'm not going to vote for him to be president. Right. <laughs> but. Uh, We've adopted that attitude with politics where yes. I, actually my congressman was a – Charlie Crist. He was a Republican. Republicans loved him. But then he decided he wanted to go from being governor to being senator. And they're like, no, no, stay stay governor. And he said, no, I'm changing to be an independent. He lost. He then changed to be a Democrat. And the left loved him. The people who hated him four years ago now were like, yay, we love this guy. It's like, what well, is wrong with you? <laughs> there's uh, I, I, there's uh, the story of Paul the Apostle. Um, I don't know if you, if you or your readers or listeners are familiar. but So Paul the Apostle wasn't really an apostle. He didn't know Jesus, but he wrote most of the Bible, most of the New Testament. And... That's pretty much what he did. He was on he was on the on the side of the tax collectors, and then he saw where the wind was shifting, and he had a religious conversion. And then everyone from the other side loved him. It's like we love a conversion story. Mm. We love people to say, "Oh, I had been so evil, but now I'm good," and that we love more than someone who's just been good and reliable their whole lives. Yeah, even if the conversion is real, which I'm sure it's not many times, but but you're right, even if the conversion's real, that person is why are they valued more than the person who's been right the whole time? Exactly, and there are there are, you know, a thousand bible stories like that. That's that's what my uh the ancient people in the libertarian party are like, we've been right on everything since the 70s. Weed, marriage, now now other drugs, prostitution, that's that's the next upswing because it's become a feminist issue where sex work is work. So they, Well, now it's sex work, it's not prostitution. Oh, well, exactly, exactly. So they've got that niche where it's like, oh, that's next, and mushrooms uh, and MDMA have depression. Yeah. Fight de- yeah, so, just give the old folks a hard time for poor branding. <laughs> well, that and that's the thing. It's like it just wasn't the flavor of the month. But there's only one group of people who were like, we've been saying this for decades. And those old, the old libertarians, there aren't yeah. many of them, but the old libertarians, they're great because they're like, I've been right about everything my whole life. And you guys just now coming around. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I'll tell you, there's a big uh, inside baseball here. There's a big thing because they were big gold people, you know, the gold standard, everything. And now right. crypto is kind of a libertarian type thing cryptocurrency right. so now there's kind of a gold versus crypto clash where it's like eh, we'll see who who comes out ahead guys <laughs> i'll watch this one from the sideline <laughs> <laughs> but no even uh, honestly even the libertarian party who uh, support them blah 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 but going inside you can see even people and again libertarians have no power. I, you know, they have the power of being the deciding swing vote. It, right. it, it seems like 
if you attract enough libertarians, you might win uh, uh, the president. You know, I, I think Trump beat Hillary because Gary Johnson pulled more from Hillary, probably. And I think Trump lost to Biden because he pulled more from Joe Jorgensen. Um, so I do think they have that where right. you need to pander a little bit uh, to libertarians. But as far as in the party, there's no pa- – it's all bullshit. Right. And egos and power-driven people – and then you get a lot of conversions of, uh, and again, not that there's anything wrong with it, changing your political beliefs or affiliation, because the political parties have sure changed stances a bunch of times. Oh yeah, and well, you want to if you want if you want to affect something, if you want to accomplish something, you have to be on the team that's accomplishing things. Yeah. Even if you want to accomplish something that that team might not want to accomplish, you have better you have a better chance on on that side. Yeah, it's a it's a gross game. Um, but the fun, the funny thing, reading your, your book and, uh, a lot of the theories, it's kind of scary how I, a lot, so I, I try to be creative. I do stand up now and I do this podcast, but these are, these are side projects because I like writing screenplays and stuff like that. And my brother and I, and my soon to be brother-in-law, we worked on a comic book series and a lot of our tropes, a lot of our long-term plans, uh, it's like, ooh, we were kind of right in the ballpark. Like, one big scheme is there's a big shadow government uh, uh, that, that runs everything. And, and, and you know, and it's like, oh, well, that's kind of a, a real thing. And then we, we actually had aliens travel to Earth underwater. There was a portal of some kind. And now, I don't know if you saw, uh, I think it was Friday, Joe Rogan put on Instagram video that the, uh, the military released a showing a UFO diving underwater and they couldn't find, I'm like, shit. And that's the kind of thing that makes me yeah. <laughs> go down the deep end. It's like, wait, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I, I've never been, I've never been faced, I've never been face to face with the fantastical. And that's what makes it pretty easy uh, to be skeptical about it. I don't know how I would react to something that I feel like we don't I feel like our belief is always on the verge of just exhaustion. You know, like I I, I can believe but I don't wanna know. You know, right. I don't I don't wanna test it to the point where I have to give it up. And that's what leads, uh, I think, a lot of people to intellectual dishonesty. They do the testing, and they're like, I probably should give this up, but I'm not going to because <laughs> I like it too much. Um, the Orgone is a, is a good example of that, one of the, the spiritual thing in the book. This is a guy, he took his machine to Einstein, and Einstein said, yeah, this is a piece of garbage. And he's like, oh, well, you just don't understand. <laughs> you know, like, well, why did you ask? Like, why do you ask for verification if you're going to ignore it anyway you know ignoring ignoring answers we don't like is something we're excellent at and it's it's a detriment to all of us that's the grift or it it, like it's the oh well of course you don't get it like it's easy to just be i'm smarter than them they they can't science hasn't caught up with my brilliance yet right and and people actually that, so, so from a comedian standpoint, I need to just start saying I'm funnier than anyone else. You guys just <laughs> don't get it yet. You're not smart. <laughs> yeah. 
you'll dig up these tapes in 30 years and they'll be like, he yeah. was an undiscovered genius. Yeah, you guys are just too dumb to get it. <laughs> I love uh, I love it. And uh, I, I've, I kept you longer than I asked for, so I apologize. But uh, well, no, thank you very much for letting me talk so much. Yeah, so Dragged Into the Light, Truthers, Reptilians, Super Soldiers, and Death Inside an Online Cult. Uh other than buying the book, uh, tell us where we can buy the book and uh, any other way you want people to follow you or anything. Sure. If you go to buy the word B-Y, B-Y, Tony Russo, like my byline, um, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or buytonyrusso.com, you'll get to you'll get to everything you need from me. Um, I would like it if, uh, if, if people went to dragintothelight.com. Um, you can take a look at the, the book there. One of the things I did for the book, and I'm pretty proud of it, even though it's dumb, is I put together a playlist where I chose a song for each chapter. Oh, that kind of that kind of sums up the chapter, or that's kind of in touch with the chapter. And uh, I really should have I should have looked at that when I was reading. <laughs> I, no, I just put it. I just no, no. I I, I just put it out yesterday. I like. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you go to dragedintothelight.com, you can find the playlists, but only since about seven o'clock last night. Oh, nice! I love that. But yeah, there were some. There were several songs that that made a lot of sense to me. Um, and then my wife picked out other ones because she's cooler than me, and I don't know any songs. Like, if you've recorded in the last 30 years, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> but I'd, I'd just like to quick tell the first the first song is uh, Leonard Cohen, uh, Who By Fire. And it's always been a song that I liked. I didn't realize until pretty recently that it's... Uh, it's like a song version of For Whom the Bell Tolls, mm. the John Don poem. Like, as said not to know, For Whom the Bell Tolls, it tolls for thee. And the idea is that, you know, we are responsible for what's going on. This book is about us. This book is not about them. Um, and that's, in the introduction, I think I make it pretty clear, and that's why I chose that song to go with the introduction, because it's this is about, this is a book about us, and how we maybe could do a better job at taking our part in the world seriously rather than just explaining why other people are at fault. Because explaining why other people are making your life miserable is what they do in this book. And it works out very poorly on a small scale. It works out even worse on a large scale. And I think that we need to think a lot more about how we contribute to our own demise rather than looking for someone to blame on it. That's awesome. And uh, uh, one thing I want to add, I, I, I love I love what you said. Actually, if you don't mind, I have one more question I thought of too. No, fine. So, so one thing, uh, one statement and one thing, somebody, I knew several people who for four years were super depressed every day this awful man is i'm like why are you giving this man in washington dc that much power over your life you control your own goddamn life don't let don't, if he's ruining your day that's your fault not his uh but so for people like that or people who are down the road i don't know in your investigation if you had a loved one a friend a family member who got sucked into this reptilian belief system mm. What and you might not know the answer to this, but 
how would you recommend handling that situation to try to diffuse them, so to speak? Well, I don't think facts are going to help. Right. Um, but I do think that if you ask them to talk about why it makes them feel better to think this way. The first thing that you, this is a, a vaguely, not vaguely, this is flat dead, a philosophical idea. Um, we, many of us believe, I believe, that we create our reality through participation in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also believe that we create our culture through our participation in it. So if you wish there were more local restaurants, then you should never have gone to McDonald's. It's already too late. And so we like to feel like it's not our fault and it's someone else's fault that these things happen. But we have to admit that. And when I talk to people, I'm always honest with them. I talked to several of the Shrinerites and I was I was upfront with them about my lack of spiritual interest. And the question is always why do you feel better believing that? Not why do you believe it? Why does Mm. that make you feel better to believe? Because when it comes to spirituality, it's a fact that we are making it up. I mean, it doesn't mean that there's not a God. It doesn't mean that Jesus Christ wasn't a person. What it does mean is that, like, the idea of a Christian doesn't make any sense. If you grab two Christians, they might disagree on every point of spiritual life because they've chosen what they're going to believe which is fine i choose what i'm going to believe right and i try to choose things that make me feel better or Mm -hmm. that i can understand why i'm unhappy about it you know the the my newsletter is called a bagel manifesto um once dunkin donuts started making bagels people started toasting them all the time and then bagel shops would sometimes serve you a stale bagel because they thought everyone was toasting them. I never get my bagel toasted. I think it's anathema. So (laughs) as a result of other people's decision to toast their bagels, I have to eat stale bagels. I have to learn to live with that. There's no point in getting furious with that. The culture chose to do something that I don't like. And so... I have to believe that it's going to have to be okay. And so for someone who's really into the reptile thing, that's the question. The question is why, how do you get peace from believing this? You know, and why haven't you, you know, what kind of research would count as evidence against it? Like you need a difference. If you think the president's a reptilian, it's not because you don't need one more fact to prove (laughs) that the president's not a reptilian. You want to believe that. And the question is, why do you want to believe it? And if I were talking to someone, I would say, these are the things I believe because I want to. You know, I want to believe that people hate me because I'm the only one who understands bagels, you know. Um, But the things that I believe, I understand that much of what I believe is because I want to believe it. But the thing that I want to believe the most is that I'm willing to be wrong. And moving to a place where that's what we want the most, where we can all agree that the best thing to do is to find out that you're wrong and to fix it. Um, that's, that's where I would, that's where I would take anyone who asked. Um, another way to put it is why do we do politics? Mm. 
do we do politics so I can force people to be the way I want them to be? Or do we do politics so we can do a better job of living together? And that's a big question. And if you think that politics are ways of making you, making other people live the way you want them to live, then you're, again, probably not doing it. Probably not doing it, right? Because, I mean, simply, you don't want other people to force you to be the way they want you to be, right? And so if we think of politics as a way that we can learn to live together, as opposed to a reason, a way to make people be the way we want them to be, you know, that's a, I think it's a better, it's a better project. I think it's a more interesting project. It's a lot harder. Um, but I think it probably would be more fulfilling. Yeah. And, and, and you know who was behind the uh, toasted bagels? It was Satan and his hellfire. I, you know what? That's, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I, uh, I have a, people don't even talk about bagels around me. It's, I've really kind of lost my mind over it. It's funny. <laughs> I brought some bagels to my daughter's house, and they were uh, not up to. I was from. I'm from New Jersey, mm. so I'm a snob anyway. And and I and I brought some over. And I'm like ah. And my daughter said, "If you say one word about these bagels, you have to leave, and you can't ever bring bagels again." <laughs> it's like a thing in my house now. My my in laws were all from the Philadelphia area, and they're always, oh, it's not. It's the same down here. I'm like, oh, come on, shut up. <laughs> but it's probably true since everyone says it. Well. Just briefly on the bagels, the thing is that there's no competition. Like in in larger cities, like if you make shitty bagels, you go out of business. Um, in you know, in smaller towns, if you're one of the only three bagel shops, you can make shitty bagels if you want because people don't know the difference and they don't care. But if there's a culture of people who like bagels, then you have to. It's <laughs> again, I don't believe it's the water. It's the same with pizza. Like when you have so many. People oh, yeah. who are proud of the pizza that they make and proud to make really good pizza, then everyone's game goes up as opposed to you're like, well, if they order Domino's, they order from me. It's all the same. You know, you're going to have less uh, enticing Oof. pizza. Domino's. You triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was not an endorsement for Domino's. No, no, I think very much against. Uh, <laughs> well, again, everyone check out this book. I've read it. It's uh it's informative and, and entertaining. It was very good writing. Uh, dragged into the light, truthers, reptilians, super soldiers, and death inside an online cult. I just like to prove I can still read. <laughs> it's tough. Tony, thanks again. I really appreciate you uh, spending so much time with me today. It's been an absolute blast. Thanks so much. Well... That was it, me and Tony Russo. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I think it was a pretty intellectual conversation, and uh, the fun thing is, I think he and I would both very openly admit we, we don't agree politically, but I think we had a very relatable conversation that I wish people could have, right? I mean, I generally can talk to the biggest right-wing uh, you know, Trump-loving people, and uh, I feel like sometimes accomplish something, and I can talk to the socialists on the left, and uh, at least find some common ground, you know, and I, I think, you know, as much as people like to talk about the adversity and the, uh, the hatred between 
different things. I mentioned a few things where it kind of people have come together. There's some extremists on both sides, but you know things like marijuana, uh, now sex work, uh, 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 gay marriage. I don't know very many people who give a shit about gay marriage in a bad way, you know, or in an anti way. I mean, there's an argument that the government marriage is a religious sacrament, and you know the government shouldn't be involved. You know, we're not talking philosophically here. We're talking about who cares, right? <laughs> like, let people live their lives. Uh, you know, don't hurt other people. Just be kind. Not because God wants you to, because you should want to. Who wants to be an asshole? Um, anyways, please like, subscribe, follow me on Twitter, retweet my shit, uh, follow my Facebook. I've got an Instagram. I'm really bad at social media, so if anyone wants to, like, give me tips, I'm totally cool with that. Shoot me an email, stjmac at gmail.com. Check out that Trophy Wife Life, uh, guest hosted by me. Uh, check out that episode, and uh, shout out to Drunk Boy's Basement. Um, again, if, uh, you know, check it out, but uh, not you, Mom. That, that, one's, that one probably went a little off the rails. Uh, no cocaine pun intended. Uh, and no, I didn't do cocaine during the episode. I promise. I, I did a lot of alcohol. So, anyways, uh, oh, and if you have an iPhone, scroll all the way to the, uh, keep swiping right until you get that search bar up, unless you have an old iPhone, then you can, I think, swipe down, and type in the word podcasts, and click on it, and then type in Jeff M-A-C. Now, I think Jeff M, I show up on the list, but Jeff M-A-C is all you need to find the Jeff McAlino podcast. Then you scroll all the way down to the bottom and there's some stars there. And you click on the one furthest to the right. Click that one. And if you feel so inclined, write a review. And remember to go on to Frontiers Communications Twitters for that deal that I mentioned in the ad at the beginning of the episode and tell them to go fuck themselves. Oh, I'm going to have fun with that. Uh, <laughs> all right. I love you all, even though I probably don't know most of you. Hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, come fight me. But, you know, not physically. Just just let's verbally discuss things. All right. Peace.